Hey there, beautiful souls. Welcome to Beyond the Surface, where the saying to be seen is to be understood comes to life. I want to begin by first honouring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. I live and work on Gundungurra land and acknowledge the traditional landowners of my guests near and far. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations peoples. The land below my feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. I am no stranger to the profound journey of pain, grief, anger and heartbreak that often accompanies the loss of church, community, faith and the unwinding of our core beliefs. In the midst of this labyrinth, I found healing in the stories shared by others who have walked a similar path. Each tale, unique in its own right, weaves an invisible thread of connection, uniting us through the tapestry of religious trauma and healing. Here, in the warmth of these digital walls, I want you to feel at home. This is a haven where your memories are not just acknowledged, but deeply seen and believed. So kick back, relax, and let's embark on a journey where your story is not just heard, but embraced. Welcome to a community where storytelling is a powerful force. This is Beyond the Surface. Welcome, Liz. Hi. I'm Thank so you. happy to have you here. You are my first cab off the rank, actually. Um, I haven't even ventured into recording my own episode just yet. So um, it is nice and fresh, which is fun. Amazing. Yeah. So Liz is joining us to chat about her story. Um, now, I've not actually mentioned this, but I have been a little bit of a long-time follower. I followed you back when you were doing like Bible lettering um, and I sort of, it just sort of like continued on from there. And um, I know that you've sort of said on um, on social media that, sort of, you know, people have noticed the transition out of one into you know, some of the other things. And I don't know what it says about me that I didn't notice that. Um, but I, I have been following for, for quite some time. Um, so it's, um, it's interesting to sort of be on the flip side of that conversation. Um, Yeah. I think one of the things that's tricky about social media is that you never really get a sense of what particularly obviously I have a large following. Um, and it's particularly tricky when you don't know who has seen what, but the people who have seen it have been very vocal about it. Oh, I bet. And sometimes it only takes also a a small handful of people for that vocalness, Mm. not a word. Um, we We make up words. We knew what it meant, yeah. um, but for the things that they say to be really impactful and not necessarily in a good way. Mm. And so some of the things that have been said as that shift has happened and as I've shared it online, mm. um, I've definitely found myself a little um, wary 
mm. of of what I share and how I share it. Yeah. And I definitely I didn't share in real time because I didn't feel like that was how I wanted to move through that season of my life, like in terms of shifting beliefs, in terms of even just shifting circumstances. I didn't share my divorce in real time. Yeah. I didn't share um, changes around where and when I was doing church things and stuff like that. Partly because I felt like I wanted the space to process and integrate them a little bit for myself before I shared. Yeah. The problem was then I kind of came back online with like, oh, by the way, everything's changed. Yes. And people, I think, had a bit of a response to like, you could have taken us with you, <laughs> which I think is fair. You know what I mean? Oh. Like, I think that there's both pieces of that where yeah. when you do have an online presence, people do expect you to take them on the, the path a little bit with you and not just yeah. come back and be like, yeah, so look, I was married to a youth pastor and now I'm marrying a stripper and I'm really gay. Like, and I didn't quite do it oh. like that, but it, it wasn't far. Yeah. Um, and so I think, like, I used to let all Bible verses and now he's my gay lover. Yeah. Um, and her yeah. getting her, you know, naked on stage. So oh I can see how that was intense for people who maybe the algorithm hadn't shown them my content in yeah. two years because that is real that mm. you know I think the other day I looked at something and something that's really high performing for me at, at the moment maybe 10 to 20 percent of my audience sees it right. and I don't post terribly often so that does mean that people might not see yeah. something I've shared for a really long time yeah. Yeah. Social media struggles for sure. But it's, you know, it's hard because that journey of sort of navigating all of the detangling, the, you know, the hot word is obviously deconstruction, but essentially it is just like a dismantling of something that has been a huge part of your world is not really something that you want to be sharing on a public forum because most of the time well I know for me most of the time I had absolutely no idea what was going on in my head yeah like it took so much time for me to make sense of it let alone to be able to communicate that to somebody else yeah I think um definitely in the more recent time where there has been this real shared language around deconstruction and exvangelicalism and things like yes. that. It's really interesting for me to observe that because mm. the first time I had a really painful exit from a church was in 2010 mm -hmm. and no one was having those conversations then. Yeah. And I always talked about the fact that for me, it felt like I'd, you know, I'd built this little home for myself within this community mm. and essentially very, very rapidly, to be honest, for me, within the space of a couple of weeks, it felt like someone just took a wrecking ball to the whole place. Mm. And really I had about, you know, a month or two to pick up the pieces of that that I felt were important mm -hmm. and then take off with them. Yeah. And I always felt like, particularly because I'd been in a space then, it was a very high control kind of group. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of things that I would now call toxic theology. Mm -hmm. uh, they had taken an element of a truth and then distorted it in a way that became controlling and manipulative. Mm -hmm. And so I'd realized that really suddenly and abruptly and I kind of realized that my house was in shambles around me, but there were these little nuggets of gold buried in there somewhere. But I also couldn't tell which one was which because it was all very dusty and messy. <laughs> 
And so I didn't really deconstruct so yeah. much as got an, you know, got annihilated pretty much overnight. Mm. Um, and then I had a second experience that I think was a lot more gentle of being like, hang on, I've put all these pieces back together now in a new place, but some of them don't feel like mine anymore. And I don't really know what's happening here. And that's, I think, a lot more what I see of what other people have experienced as that kind of gradual deconstruction that is like, you know what, I don't even know what I think anymore. But I definitely that first time had a much stronger sense of, okay, this place is interpreting things in ways that no longer feel aligned for me. Mm. It no longer feels safe for me to have my children here or for me to be here. I'm out. Yeah. But it didn't really shake my personal faith in the same way that then my kind of second exit did, mm. if that makes sense. It's interesting because I think that is a very common thing that you hear that there is sort of, it comes in stages. Um, it doesn't, it's not an all out in, in one hit. Um, but that sort of imagery of the wrecking ball and it sort of shattering into pieces and just grabbing what you could, that's survival almost. It's like survival mode. Yeah, it was very that at the time Yeah, because it was very abrupt. It was, I mean, I went from in the space of a month um, essentially being a preacher's wife and my ex-husband was on full-time staff at the church. We lived 100 metres from the church. We were there five to six days a week. We were deeply invested oh um, to basically and, and honestly having no concept that under any circumstances I would ever leave the marriage. Yeah to within a month um, basically packing my kids and their birth certificates in a car and leaving everything. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it yeah. has the same tone that we use when people escape, you know, domestic abuse. It's sort of that. Yeah. And and honestly, look, I so obviously we're in Australia and I'm assuming a lot of yeah. your audience is Australian. Um, I did access DV support at the time yeah. because, unfortunately, the church space we were in was very much – um, again, back to the toxic theology, mm. they were they were creating these environments where coercive control and emotional abuse and really this kind of power imbalance stuff was openly advocated for. Yeah. And so that was really what happened for me in that month is I had realised that as opposed to this just being kind of like, oh, all married couples fight, mm. I realised that actually I needed to take steps to keep my kids and myself safe. And at that point in time, that was the only way I could do that. Mm. So, yeah, I the, the on the phone ringing DV Connect was definitely a fairly intense memory. Yeah, and probably really confronting as well, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like, again, that's the thing of where I felt like my whole world had been turned upside down in really a matter of days at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I guess what you describe often sounds like the picture perfect scenario. You know, I it sounds, um, it, this is sort of a little left field, but I used to always, it's a very common description for people who know me um, and know, have known me for quite a while, that when I was younger, all I wanted was the seventh heaven life. I wanted to be the pastor's wife. I wanted the seven kids. I wanted to be living in the same street as the church, to be doing full-time ministry. You know, I I think 
probably people uh, international will know Seventh Heaven more than Australians, but um, it was that sort of very all-consuming lifestyle. And I look back at that now and I go, oh, my gosh, that sounds like hell. Like the um, the assertive dominant part of me just would never have been able to be that sort of submissive wife that I guess would have um, been required. But it's so easy for people to think that that's like the picture perfect image, you know, the husband, the children. Yeah. Definitely. And we, I mean, for starters, I was really never good at it either. Like I tried really hard. I tried and I was, it's yeah. so funny because I was just telling my therapist the other day, I was like, yeah. I approached it the way I approach everything, which is I give my all to it. I yeah. deeply invest in trying to be the absolute very best I possibly can because yeah. that's how I do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely, you know, I think even to the outside world, outside of our home, people still thought that where we yeah, were, you know, there was definitely a big sense. There was a big shock when all of a sudden I up and left. Yeah. I know that a different narrative got sold to the church congregation than what sure. was happening. Yeah, And again, because it was a really high control group, I had really... Look, I don't want to say no contact. I had contact with, I think, two people from a church of over 400 after I left. Uh, And we'd been there for over a decade. It's not Mm. like we weren't heavily invested in the space. So they were told not to contact us in order to protect the family's privacy. Um, But really that was much more about making sure that nobody had any contact with the narrative that I was giving at the time. Yeah. And... Yeah. Which is about reputation, right? Like that's about the church wanting to uphold their reputation more than Absolutely. Anything. Yeah. And also in a space like that where they are really invested in keeping women particularly submissive, Yeah, I think the idea that I would have influenced anybody to think outside of the box was terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. so they needed to maintain also my ex-husband's reputation because he was on staff and so he did step down from his position but they essentially um painted it as though I had a you know a mental break and taken off with the children and he was stepping down to care for things and that was definitely not what was happening I mean, don't we love when mental health gets used as like as an excuse or used as a weapon Particularly shared without consent because also, I mean, had I had a mental health episode, I, you know, I have no, I, there's no shame around that. There's no no issues with accessing support, but how about we check with the person involved if they're okay with that being shared in a public forum? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How old were your children at the time? So there were five of them then. They were six, five, three, two, and three months old. Oh my gosh. I mean mm-hmm. that like that in itself aside from all of the emotional and mental and spiritual trauma that just like having to navigate single parenting overnight pretty much. That's that's a lot. Yeah, it was a bit. Yeah. yeah we, we kind of we definitely went into survival mode for a while there. That's for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Was it um I mean, the kids were probably a bit young, but were there, was it difficult sort of navigating the spiritual side of things with them? It definitely was because, again, the space we were in was incredibly conservative and they had had, particularly the eldest two, 
were aware enough of what was happening that, as I mentioned earlier, I really took that shift as being, this is a church interpreting the Bible poorly. Mm. Um, This is not an issue about my personal faith and relationship. So I kind of stepped sideways into um, a fairly mainstream Baptist church there. I had had a couple of home births and my midwife was a good friend and they happened to go there. Um, We slept on their lounge room floor for five weeks as well. I, but we, I remember one of the first times we went there and in the car afterwards and my, uh, f- I guess would have been four-year-old at the time, five-year-old, five-year-old was just incredibly distraught because there were drums in church and they really had been told that oh. that was ungodly that was the way that the devil was let in and things like that and and ultimately you know there are still sections of you know christianity that believe that and all that kind of thing um but yeah it was really tricky to navigate that and then also i think one of the things that has continued to be the hardest is that place of navigating a change in my personal beliefs without causing confusion for the kids or creating conflict for them around their dad's beliefs. Yeah. Because, I mean, having two parents doing different things is complicated enough without adding in the whole layer of all the spiritual stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, you know, growing up, things like, you know, even just something as simple as going to church on a weekend or versus not going to church if you're with mom, you know, like that sort of double narrative that the kids are hearing would have been incredibly tricky to sort of hold space for while you're trying to work out your own as well. Yeah, and I think... In that early kind of period, so the children's dad and I spent a couple of years apart and then ended up back together for a little while and then there was another baby and then we divorced in 2017. Um, And it's probably been since 2017 that's been that we've really kind of diverged on what we do believe about a lot Mm. of these things. And it's really interesting because my youngest in particular doesn't really have any memory of us being in church together. And so he doesn't really have this sense of my church background. Yeah. So like all that's happened is like a couple of times when he's, when he was much smaller and he'd come to me and be like, you know, dad's so much smarter than you because he talks to God. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, my goodness. Like, okay, Bob. And, like, what do you do with, like, a a five-year-old or something that's come to you and said something like that when you're just like, oh, like, I don't even. I mean, it's so late because, like, you automatically just want to go with, Oh, you know, you laugh because it's a five-year-old saying it and he's, you know, he's saying it with probably such innocence. But it's such a layered um, statement because it still is that underpinning and perspective that children are getting around Absolutely. That. It's, and that's then the less- superiority or, almost. 
Yeah. And then like the less cute version of that uh, happened a bit more recently when, so we have one kiddo who's trans, well, we have a few who are trans and gender diverse and their dad is fundamentally opposed to any form of accepting that. And the little one still goes back and forth between houses each week. And he came to me, what was this year? And sort of said to me, oh, I'm just really wondering if, because I'm a Christian, maybe I should just stay at dad's place all the time because I don't want sibling to be upset because I'm a Christian and Christians don't believe in being trans. And essentially, you know, this tiny little human is having to navigate the complexity of dad being vocally, openly transphobic and problematic and also seeing, you know, how much he wants to be here. And look, in that particular moment, the conversation sounded a little bit like not all Christians are transphobic. Um, And I sort of said to him, you know, one of the things that's going to be important is that if your Christian beliefs are important to you, that doesn't mean they have to be the same as dad's. It also doesn't mean, it means, you know, you can, you, you can move through working out which pieces of that are really significant to you. Mm. And we've talked a lot about a difference of opinion. So Mm. which things are a difference of opinion and like, it's okay that dad doesn't like swearing at his house and we're okay with it at our house. Yes. Difference of opinion. Yeah. We still have guidelines around it here. There's words we don't use. There's also guidelines around the fact that we don't use words at people, but we yes. can use words for dramatic effect and that's yeah. okay because they are just words mm-hmm. in that particular instance. Yeah. Difference of opinion. But when we start to have and hold beliefs that are inherently harmful, particularly Mm. to other groups of people that are, you know, then that's where it gets a little bit different. And that's where we're not just going to put that in the same bucket of of thought as, well, you have your opinion and I have mine and you just need to respect my opinion. No, I respect your opinion that you don't want swearing at your house Mm -hmm. and I won't swear in your house. That's fine. I'm I'm happy to be careful about that. But when your opinion is that I shouldn't be me, yeah, then oppression is not a form of opinion. No, that's not really an opinion I can just no. respect. Also, you just don't want me to be me, and you want me to chill about that. Yeah. Oh, cool. I mm. I just don't think that's available to me. Yeah. So navigating that has been really complex with the little one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean uh, it's heartbreaking. Like mm. that level of. Um, cognitive dissonance for a a child to be having already um, and for a parent, I guess, to be not being conscious about their impact on that is heartbreaking for them. I think what's really tricky there is that he would maintain that he is conscious of the impact and he stands mm, by it. Yeah. So from his perspective, and this and this is what's really tricky, right, is that his belief is essentially that his relationship with God is the most important one that there is and that when he is in right standing with God that his children mm, benefit, right? Yeah. It's that flow on effect thing. Yeah. And therefore, he believes that if he were to even prioritize the child's perspective, if that put him in out of, you know, out of right standing with God, he would be 
doing the child a disservice. Like it's it's so circular, but at the same time, he genuinely believes that. Yeah, yeah. And it is such, I feel like it's such a hard concept for people to understand if they have never been a part of a faith or a church or religious community because, you know, I remember having that all or nothing, black or white thinking and and I it is, I sort of look back on it now and I go, how, like how? And um, and it is really difficult for people who have never been a part of that type of community to understand that level of all-consuming devotion. It's it like it's really, yeah, it's hard to to comprehend for a lot of people. Yeah. It's and so- how someone can in the one breath be saying, oh, I'd do anything for my children, mm. but in the same breath kind of be like, but the thing I'm doing for my children is loving God first and foremost, and that means rejecting my children. Like- yeah. It's like, I mean, it's so contradictory and so counterproductive, but when you're in that space, you don't see it that way. <laughs> You definitely don't, and particularly because yeah. there's enough narratives that, again, you know, get pulled out of Bible stories. Yeah. You know, we prodigal son that stuff where, oh you know, the father stayed there and he <gasps> held strong and true to what he believed and he yeah. waited for his son to come back. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I have like a visceral reaction I to that I saw it. Story. I watched it. <laughs> I watched it in real time. Awesome. <laughs> I um I left my church community for a couple of years and when I came back I was singled out on my very first time back at the church um and the the person leading the service had sort of um drawn attention to the fact that I was back and said the prodigal daughter has returned and in that moment I remember thinking why am I so not okay with this but I've like you know they're happy that I'm back like how am I not supposed to be okay with that and it was just like this like tug of war still of going what they were saying was see we were right yeah exactly yeah they weren't saying we love you they were saying we were right we knew you'd come back yeah finally she's come to her senses like finally which is just this deep invalidation oh. of whatever you had been through for the last couple uh-huh. of years. Because what if all of it was meant to be there? Yeah, absolutely. And one is not better or worse than the other. Yeah. No, not at all. What was it like, I guess, that process of detangling your own sense of spirituality and your own sense of faith? Interestingly, I think that was really entangled with my queerness. I think, again, because, um, yeah, me and everyone else. Sorry. No, it's fine. I get that. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, it was two things. So um, I'm going to say this carefully because I, look, you never know who's going to listen to the Mm -hmm. things. Mm Mm-hmm. When the marriage ended, what was the second time? We were in a mainstream Baptist church at that point. I'd had a counsellor who I was seeing at the time ask me if I wanted to do a risk assessment. 
again, wasn't the first time I'd been asked that in my life. Yeah. And I had a little bit of a moment because I thought I could spot it now mm. and went back and did some reading again. And I was like, oh, he just chose different tactics right. and he just stopped using Bible verses to justify the things he was doing. Mm. But the emotional stuff and the coercive stuff and the control stuff was still there. And so I had kind of come to that place on my own. Mm. And then essentially as church leadership at the time became aware that the marriage was dissolving, there was a lot of pressure to go into couples counseling and things like that. By that point, I was very clear on the fact that couples counseling is more often than not dangerous for women where there are issues of control and abuse. Yep. I still maintain that. Yep. As uh, a couples therapist, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my resistance to engage was seen as problematic mm. and I found myself facing similar things I'd felt when I came in there the first time because it actually was the same church that I'd moved into from the first one we'd left. Yep. So I'd moved into there and then together we'd kind of gone around a couple of different places and then we'd ended up back there. But there'd been a lot of that stuff around things like, you know, couldn't be in the room with a man in leadership because as a single woman you know, we don't know what might happen. I'm like, oh can you not keep it in your pants? Because I yeah. have no, like, mate, oh my I'm, I'm not the problem here. No. Um, but there was just a lot of pressure from me. And, look, I tried to do a lot of educating of particularly there were two women on staff who I was, you know, relatively close to. I'd work pretty closely with the entire team there because I'd done a lot of web design and graphic design stuff for them. Last time I checked, my hand lettering was still hanging in there for you. Um, it probably isn't oh. now, but it was quite recently. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was quite close to a lot of them and I kind of figured I didn't specifically need support from them, but maybe I could get them to understand mm. a little bit better for the next person who came along yeah. to the point where I think at the time, I can't remember if it was Baptist's essay or someone in South Australia had actually done up a guide for churches on dealing with domestic violence stuff. And it was actually quite decent. Like it mm. was, it was not terrible. Um, but I felt really hurt by their response. I felt really hurt by the way that once again, they did the whole, it takes two argument. Um, you need to see a couple's counselor and you need to pray about it. Ugh. And I felt like there was a real lack of understanding of what kind of support I needed and that I really had done everything I could to articulate there. And it was more an unwillingness to listen as opposed to a lack of, like a lack of knowledge. Yeah. So that happened and I kind of pulled back a little bit. Yeah. I and mean, then... that is a really great example of where spiritual bypassing is dangerous. 100%. Like, we, you know, we often hear people talk about the fact that, you know, their, you know, mental health or their emotional problems or, you know, anything that they're experiencing is met with, you know, maybe you just need to pray more or, you know, do you want me to pray for you? Or maybe you just need to be more devoted. Maybe you need to read the Bible more, whatever it is. And there is that real sense of we just need to bypass this because, one, we don't want to acknowledge that there is anything outside of um, what we know and what we believe. 
Um, and two, this is, it's just generally a discomfort for people. Um, they're not comfortable with that. Um, but it's, you know, when we're talking about domestic abuse, that's where spiritual bypassing becomes dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, within the secular spaces I'd been in, conversations were about safety and exit plans. Exactly. Yeah. They weren't about sitting down together to talk about things. Yeah. Yeah. No. So that happened and I kind of pulled back a little bit. And then um, I, somewhere along the line there, I started, I think, considering maybe dating again. I can't remember the timeline, which is terrible because it's not that long ago. But, but I, think, whatever. I think at some point timelines get thrown out the window. I, I'm i the same. I also think the last four years' time has just collapsed in on itself yeah. and it doesn't mean anything anymore. And it's funny because I don't really ever remember having a particular moment of recognising myself as queer. Yeah. Um, I definitely did that thing where I was like, I thought we were all attracted to everyone. Mm. And so when I jumped on some online dating apps and it was like men or women, I'm like, both, of course, both. Yep. And then I started to realize that none of that would be okay mm. in the space that I was in. Yeah. And that more and more it felt like that was the piece that felt out of alignment with what healing looked like for me because that was a thing at that point in time I was like I feel like this is what healing looks like for me and every time I would go on to church property I would feel less than and I would feel othered yeah and I felt like I mean on the surface I, I was still part of the music ministry I was still involved in things but it just had this real sense of like I don't belong here anymore yeah and look again the people there, the great humans, I am not throwing shade there. Yeah. Um, I think as with anything, can't believe I'm about to two sides myself. Um, there are two sides. To, no, look, that's terrible. In this particular instance, oh. I don't have a lot of clarity on how much of feeling othered was because that's how I happened to be feeling at the time or if I was picking up on things that were being said and done. I don't know, don't really care. Yeah. Um, but at some point there I realised that that was not the place I wanted to be and also that I didn't really have a particular need to be in anywhere at that point in time. I felt like I was in a season of my life where the thing I needed the most was to learn to trust myself mm. and all of the faith traditions I had experienced up until that point were pretty anti that. Like even saying that out loud now, I'm like, oh, wait for the people to be like, no, oh, but no. the heart is deceitful above all things and out of it is yep. yeah, Absolutely. And it, and I think regardless of um, faith background or denomination or anything, anybody who has navigated leaving a church environment or leaving their core belief system has had to tackle that internal compass like you know I would describe myself as somebody who is quite intuitive um and that is not the done you just like intuition allows you know that leaves you open to evil thoughts and you know I mean 
put it blatantly, that just like leaves it open for the devil, you know, that, 100%. you know, and, um, and so you get taught that what happens internally and, and your thoughts, your feelings are not to be trusted. And so when you come out of that, who are you supposed to trust all of a exactly. sudden? Exactly. Yeah. It's a very external source of trust. Yeah. And it's really interesting though, because I think within some circles, some people are allowed to hear from God, right? Mm. Some people, yes. not everybody necessarily, yep. depending on the interpretation of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people are allowed to hear from God and whether or not that is really actually just them trusting their intuition or, or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there are always other people who are definitely not. And particularly if, like, as you said, you've had that experience of, like, going away from the church space and coming back, mm-hmm. I can imagine it was even more undermined yeah. that, like, yeah. well, you got it wrong last time. I know. Yeah, exactly. It just sort of further reinforces that narrative to not trust your internal sense of self. Oh, I remember one of the things that I, you know, how you sort of start to wrestle with concepts and doctrine and all sorts of things. And I remember saying to someone, at what point, you know, does intuition become prophetic? You know, at what point and who gets to determine that? Like, you know, what who, a good question. Like who gets to determine what is prophetic and what is your own selfish, sinful yeah. heart's desire? Like who gets to determine and choose Did anyone that? have a good answer No, to that? of course no. not. It was like, you know, well, I mean, generally it's the leaders, the leaders and it's the men, let's be honest, it's the men um, or anybody who had, you know, been intercess, you know, in the intercessory prayer world, and who essentially I look back on and just see, you know, those people as essentially the people who just fed the narrative that the church wanted, and so they became safe people to trust in what they said because Absolutely. it fit the mold. They they didn't say anything that was beyond that status quo or outside of the box. And so what they said was to be trusted because we were comfortable with it. And it's interesting what you say there because I think back to the first time for me, the leaving, it began with a lot of questions too. And I think, I mean, there are reasons that groups like that discourage questioning a lot of the time is because they've seen that once somebody starts asking questions, they often end up out yes. and or influencing other people at the same time because yeah. the a lot of the questioning for me the first time around and the thing was by the sounds of it similar to how you had approached that I genuinely had a deep curiosity yeah. and desire to understand yeah and what had happened for me was in 2006 7 2007 I met the woman who ended up being my home birth midwife for the last couple of babies and she was involved in the mainstream baptist space and we were involved in independent fundamentalist Baptist spaces. Um, and I saw this woman with this passionate, vibrant faith, you know, and I was like, she is, according to the list of things that are significant to independent Baptists, she was wrong on so many levels, right? Yeah. Like she read an NIV. Oh, she boy. List, honestly. <laughs> I think she even owned a copy of the message and she liked yeah. it. Oh my goodness. I remember when I bought a message Bible and such a rebel. 
I know. Like just the um I'm like the absolute like fervent um I don't even know what the word is to describe the like disgust almost that I would allow something so controversial you know like and oh gosh I just yeah absolutely it's so it's so funny you know she listened to contemporary Christian music CCM Mm -hmm. she you know I think she even might have spoken in tongues you know she was really out there and I was like and I remember at the time I, I asked her a thousand questions and she was happy to talk to me about all of them. I was like, tell me about this thing. Tell me how, yeah. how do you, how do you believe this and this? How did you get to this position? Can mm-hmm. you help me understand? And she just answered everything. Yeah. And then I would go back into the spaces and I would go back to my ex-husband and I'd be like, hey, can you help me understand why we, we see this as really important yeah. As opposed to this perspective. And I got berated for being rebellious and unsubmissive. Mm-hmm. And I got shut down all over the place. And yeah. look, the the slippery slope fear is is real and rampant and all those yeah. things. But the thing is, like at that point in time, I genuinely was seeking understanding because I was like, I understand that this is the way we've chosen to do things. And I'm sure yeah. with that. But help me help me understand the why. Yeah. And no one in that space was really willing to come up with any answers for me. Yeah. And it absolutely was the beginning of the end. It was that kind of, you know, pulling at the little strings kind of thing, which, again, is why they discourage it. They know that. Yeah. Critical thought is not encouraged by any means because that is not not. going to end well. Um, But, you know, it, it is, and most of the time it is out of genuine curiosity and wanting to understand. It is not out of any sort of malicious sort of um, tendency to try and poke a hole in something or find the the loophole, like how can I get out of this? But, um, you know, responses like, well, that's just what the Bible tells us didn't quite cut it for me. Me neither. Yeah, or that's just what we were taught, particularly if it was, you know, a friend or someone who was sort of on the same sort of level, so to speak, in the church. Yeah. Um, well, that's just what we were taught. Well, why? <laughs> like, again, I ask why and it just is sort of that underpinning of, well, it just that's just the way that it is. And and there are certain types of people where that just does not cut it as an answer. Absolutely not. Yeah. So at what point did you realise, hey, not everybody likes everybody? (laughs) Not everybody is attracted to everybody. I don't know that I still believe it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, That's terrible. (laughs) Everyone's a little bit gay. That's the real gay agenda. I'm kidding. Um, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. Somewhere along the line there, I was like, I sort of, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, obviously, that's to some level, I get that now. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly I'm just like, oh. you can't say that because you haven't met everyone in the world. <laughs> True. Yeah, absolutely. I I get that. 
But like, would I date a man right now? No. Yeah. But probably a trans man and then like trans men are men. So I would. Absolutely. How did your personal faith impact on your sexuality? Because I obviously know that journey well also, but it's not the same for everybody. No. I think there was a time once I wasn't attending church anymore, I definitely dipped into much more progressive online spaces. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, there's some interesting thought there, but there's no really, like, there's no one locally gathering like that. Yeah. I definitely went through some times where I craved that gathering of you know people together I still have times where I miss the community aspect of that yeah I was about to say I think I still have those those times oh yeah I I deeply miss that community sense that you would get from yeah I've I've tried to work out recently if I could apply for an arts grant to make queer church an arts thing anyway um just want to just want to make queer church and performance please keep us posted on that Totally. Um, I mean, I, I on that sort of like queer theology train, I think that as somebody who was an all or nothing black or white Christian, that's that's who I was. I think I'm even afraid of queer theology a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was the thing. I think I came out and then I started yeah. looking around and I was a little bit like, oh, so we're all just making it mean what we want it, whatever we yeah, want it to mean. Like much. in all honesty, mm. I so I did. I jokingly put in my bio, but I do have two thirds of a theology degree. Uh, I did two out of three years and then I had a baby. And then I tried to go back like a year ago to finish it or two years ago. And one of the electives I enrolled in was like missions work. And I was like, I can't even pretend to give you the white savior answers that you want. Yeah. Mission was. I can't do it. I, yeah, I went, um, I did what is called a gospel gap year. Oh, amazing. With the Sydney Anglican Youth Works. That was fun. I'm going to do Where a whole episode on that. Um, Please. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and um, and it was, uh, we did a month mission, a month long mission trip in Fiji, which was probably one of the single greatest experiences. Like it really was incredible. Um except for uh, two days of it to where we were required to do walk-up evangelism in another country as white people. I was like, oh, I've got so much wrong with this, like on so many levels. Like this is not just a, I'm not really up for like cold calling people essentially on the street. Um, And I've got so many issues that you want us as white people to walk up to people and talk about Jesus. And I was like, oh, so I faked being sick. Amazing. Honestly, the right answer. Yeah. I was like, we're in Fiji. We're in the pool last night. I drank some water um, accidentally. And, and I was sick for two days straight because it was, yeah, walk-up evangelism was just something I could never get behind. I was like, this just really does not sit well with me. Um, so, yeah, I, I I get the resistance to the mission unit. 
Yeah, I mean, but props for even considering going back and doing the I just wanted to finish the degree, mostly so I can tell people I have a theology degree when they try and fight me on things. Like, I like biblical Greek, all right? I passed biblical Greek. Nice. Just. Um, So bad. (laughs) But anyway, so I did that, and then I did all the progress, like the very, very progressive stuff, and I was like, hmm. So really, there's scholars that say this and there's scholars that say this. And like we're talking here, people who've spent their entire lifetime doing a PhD on the exegesis of one verse in Ephesians. You're like, okay, like that is your life's work Yeah, is using that one verse in Ephesians to argue that women shouldn't ever be able to talk in church. Like, But then over here we've got all the people who've done exactly the same thing and come to the exact opposite Mm. conclusion. And I was a little bit like, Okay, cool. So we can just choose to make it all mean what we mean, what we want to. Mm-hmm. And then I also went into a few spaces that were like new age adjacent. Mm. They were new age. They probably were. Yeah. I don't know. There was tarot cards. Oh, um, they're new age. <laughs> I mean, they're of the devil. But, but um, uh, as I have like tarot cards sitting behind me. Babe. <laughs> I have the night of voices in front of me at the moment. Um. Anyway, but so um, because I did a little witchy thing yesterday, which was really great and I loved it, other topic, but um, I went into this space and I was like, you guys are talking about the same thing but using different words. Like you're yeah. talking about manifesting stuff. You just mean praying. Or yeah. you're talking about this. You just mean like someone's channeling. It's just like, oh, it's just a prophetic yeah. word. Like it's all the same thing. Yeah. Yep. And so then I got a little bit like life is meaningless and what's the point of any of it anyway, and yep. I'm still there. So no, Fair. I'm not. Um, but I definitely don't remember the question. That's okay. Sexuality and yeah. theology. Yeah. So I went through a stage of doing a lot of reading on people who had more openness around uh, sexually positive aspects mm-hmm. of like taking a uh, sex can be pleasurable yep. as opposed to just sex is about reproduction. Like, <laughs> right. And sex yeah. is like God approved if it's inside a hex- heterosexual marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of looking at some broader perspectives around that. And then, yeah, after that, I kind of got a little bit like, I don't know that I care anymore. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Because I think um, I... <laughs> I remember when I sought out my therapist, I was, you know, really wanting somebody who would understand this uh, sort of reckoning of trying to make sense of my queerness and my Christian faith and somehow just wanting them to make sense side by side. And I did find that person who, you know, he was a a minister and got basically told to see you later because he was supportive of the queer community. And I was like, great, okay, he was a minister. He knows the Bible. What a better person. Um, and, And I think at some point, and I also, I have no idea at what point it changed from me so desperately trying to make this make sense for me and to affirm it almost to I really don't give a shit, to be honest. Like yeah. it just, and I don't know at what point that happened. 
Um, and at what point I sort of stopped trying to force something to happen. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to roll with the punches and see what happens because that was not allowed. (laughs) You were not allowed to roll with the punches. Everything was, you know, very squarely scheduled and dictated and, and things like that. So I I can relate to that sort of getting to a point where actually I just don't care. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because back to the the children question, it's yeah. I've I've felt a little bit lately like for my youngest benefit, mm. it would be helpful for me to be able to give a queer affirming theology. Mm. And then every time I go to look at it, I'm just like, I just don't value the importance of that text in my life enough. Yeah to dig into it, to even try and do that. So instead I have a friend who's a gay Christian and I'm like, if the child wants to talk to you about it, could you do that? Because I don't really want to do do that job for me because I'm so not really wanting to do that. Yeah. But also like this particular friend is, you know, from a much different space, you know, he's in a uniting church. I think it's United. I don't even know what it is. But, you know, he's somewhere that he probably doesn't have the same, um, approach to things you know we we came out of a space that was a very literal Mm, you know approach to interpretation yeah and there wasn't any conversation about genres of writing and context and social history or anything like that it was all just true and if the bible said it i believe it and that's all literal a very a literal understanding yeah (laughs) it's funny you mentioned the uniting church my wife and i got married in a uniting church and um because still at that point desperately wanting to somehow reconcile these two things um but it, the the town that i was in and the church that i was in the the uniting church were like the bottom of the barrel like they were not seen as legitimate um oh no absolutely bible believing law abiding christians and no, uh, absolutely and not. It's funny because, like, as you sort of come out and you start to notice and you go, hmm, except they're the ones that are like actually trying to change stuff so that we can care for people. Um, like, you know, the commission, Royal Commission. Oh, Royal Commission. The Royal Commission um, Amazing. child sexual abuse. Yes. You, you know. The Uniting Church actually went, okay, we actually need to listen to this. We need to make amendments in the way that we do things. And you sort of go, that's the right approach. It's, you know, yes, you're not going to get a perfect approach, but it's the right approach. Mm. Let's not bury our heads in the sand and just stick to our guns of what we've done for however many years that is just continually harming people. Yeah. Um, but I think what's really interesting about that, because this is a conversation I had with someone recently who was like, yeah, but the, tr- oh, cause context, my wife has absolutely no religious background, right? Like none. Yeah, right. And it's really, we sort of, we sort of traumatize her in like little T pretending way, not like actual trauma, but we traumatize her a little bit when we tell her Bible stories. Oh, yikes. So like she's still really distressed about the whole book of Job from about six months ago when my eldest gave her an education into the book of Job. She's like, but why would God do that? 
much. Mm. That's so odd. She's like every cup, every probably every week at some point. She just comes out with it again. Mm. Um, but so it's been really interesting because I again thought I might do a little art project taking some of the slightly more horrific things that are yep. in the Bible. Yeah. Um, for the people who'd really love to see me lettering Bible verses again. Mm-hmm. And then be a bit like yeah, the plates the are great. Plates. I love the oh, plates. the plates are amazing. They're so fun. Yes. Um, and then I did have the Bible poems. Did you see the gay Bible poems? Yes. I love yeah. those. Yeah. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, there's the book bans and that we can't let mm. the children. Mm. And yet we're okay with so much of the content that is actually in the Bible, you know, and we're okay with four-year-olds being taught that God flooded the earth and drowned everybody in it except for the few that that's mm-hmm. okay because, like, he promised he wouldn't do it again. Yeah, yeah. But it's really interesting because obviously we've been going through this. I've made a little bit of a collection of Bible verses nobody wants to admit are in there. Um, and, like, some of them are definitely not PG. Like, we'd no. be slightly horrified if I read it yeah. you know, out loud. And we're fine with the children reading all of that. Um, but it was really interesting having this conversation with this person and she's like, oh, but, you know, the overarching message of the Bible is about love and just blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's really not. It's kind of about a controlling, omnipresent figure who really just wants every- like gets really jealous when people don't do what he wants yeah. and gets really violent and worked up when he doesn't get what he wants straight away. Yeah, and was willing to sacrifice his own son so that he could then further conform people to do what he wants them to do absolutely and in a really violent and horrific way yeah yeah but it's really interesting so the thing I was trying to get across to this person was because you know she's trying to you know she's she's a very not all Christians are bad right and it's kind of like do you know what you know, the best kinds of Christians are the ones who don't actually believe the Bible. Like, mm-hmm. and and she's that. Like, yeah. she's like, oh, but the message is love and be a great human. I'm like, you didn't get that from the Bible, babe. No. You got that from, again, back to, you know, the evil word from earlier, your intuition. Yeah. You just know that that's what being a good human yeah. is. And that's kindness and compassion. And I think that's the thing. The Uniting Church takes a fairly liberal approach to the text. Yes. Yeah. And instead, it's like, we're going to be good humans. Yes. And we're going to be compassionate and caring and be socially responsible and, yeah. you know, all these kinds of things. And yeah acknowledge oppression acknowledge marginalization yeah. acknowledge that social justice is needed and you know and not just further use what we say is right and what we say is truth to further make life harder for people yeah like and ultimately again a lot of that text you know, a lot of people like to do the whole but that's the old testament <laughs> I mean, have you have you read the book Would of you? Revelation? I, I was about to say, um, do we want to talk about Romans? Like and that, yeah. Oh, yeah. About any of that early church period in yeah. general? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you already mentioned the the um, passage in Ephesians. So you know about you know, women in, in the church. And so there is there is a lot of messed up stuff there too. You know, it's not just the, and the assumptions just... about slavery and the assumptions yeah. about gender and the assumptions yeah. about lots of things. Absolutely. And either you say those things were historically and social- culturally relevant to the time, in which case let's leave them there. 
Mm-hmm. Like, let, let's leave them there. Or Yeah. you take them literally and you use the Bible as a weapon to hurt people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is just not ideal. <laughs> no, not at No. all. Having experienced it, <laughs> don't, don't, don't rate, don't recommend. I know. Zero Yeah. stars. It's, I, it's, uh, I mean, we sort of, you know, make light of some of this, but it is genuinely a, Well, for me, it was genuinely a gut-wrenching sort of experience to sort of detangle and dismantle something that um, was at the core of who you were. Um, Absolutely. And like you said, I think we're probably similar in that whole, yeah. like, throw all of self into doing the thing. I Yeah. mean, I don't think you do a gospel gap here unless you're really on board. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I did my gospel gap year whilst I had deferred my Bachelor of Theology. Amazing. Um, yeah, did not go and do that. Um, but uh, It's okay, I did it for you. yeah, I know. Good on you because, I love it. oh, yikes. Um, it was a lot. Uh, we just did like units from it in that year and it was, a, it was enough. I ended that, that year. with way more questions than I started and it was they were not all good questions and they were they're not well received questions No. And I mean, a lot of why I actually enrolled. So I enrolled after leaving the first church we were in. And I was single parenting, doing all the things. And I was like, I feel like maybe there's been some distorted reality here, which was absolutely the narrative I was given as well. So, you know, the mainstream Baptists were like, we're not like the other Baptists. You know, it was that, sorry. It was very this idea of like, yeah, but they've got it wrong. They've twisted it. yeah, And so I was like, cool, let me understand. Because I, I remember thinking, okay, surrender as a concept is not mm. the worst thing on the wor in the world, right? yeah. Like there is a reality that sometimes when we struggle and fight against things, we make it harder for ourselves and that this act of letting go is is genuinely not a terrible thing. Um, but then there was this, so there's this concept of, you know, surrendering to God's will or to plans and things. But within the space we'd originally been in, it had been very much weaponized where usually a man, a husband or a Yeah. man in leadership could insist you surrender Mm to what he had determined was God's will for you. hmm Yeah. And so the mainstream people are like, oh, no, 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 that's not right. And so I had really gone on this mission. And I guess back to that original analogy, I kind of rocked up to my degree with all of my, you know, rubble in my hands. Yes. And I was like, I know some of this is gold, but I need help working out which bits. Mm, yeah. And I definitely went into it again, not to like catch anyone in a gotcha moment or not to, not to work my way out of it. I was trying to find the essence of truth that had been distorted. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely did not walk away from there feeling like I had more, maybe I did have more clarity. It's just not the clarity I went in there thinking I would find. Mm. Yeah, I think I uh, think I probably would agree. I certainly came out with more knowledge and more understanding. It just was not what I had in had in, anticipated having. Um, I certainly walked away with more questions um, when my intention was to come out 
with a deeper knowledge and a deeper sense of faith and a closer relationship to God. And ultimately that year was the beginning of the, I was going to say the beginning of the end, um, but the the beginning of that part of the critical thinking part of me that just, it, it just snowballed from there. Um, what started with, my un like my discomfort with the concept of predestination just spiraled out of control as somebody who was not raised in a christian family my family were not religious um and so the the concept of predestination was not just a concept that was my world that's my life that impacts me right now um and so that just sort of spiraled out And something that gave me a sense of peace suddenly didn't. Um, Something that was a source of joy was a source of stress. And and so even just finding where do I even get that from now is not a quick process by any means. Absolutely not. And I think it's... again talking with my wife Mm. I'm very like I feel really untethered without this sense of purpose and meaning because you get you get told that obviously your purpose is to serve and love God and to obey and to you know glorify him and to worship him and all these things Mm. right that you were created for a purpose and that there is this meaning and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. and I find myself now being very much in like but what land Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because she's never had that yeah so she doesn't really even get what I'm talking about. She's yeah. a bit like, why is that even a thing? And I'm like, oh, yeah. no, no, but I got told that this was like the hole in my heart was filled by knowing that God created mm-hmm. me for a purpose. You yeah. know, the the hole in my heart was, you know. Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah, <laughs> all of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think um, that's been that really big loss and and not really knowing how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And it's not simple and it's not easy. And and again, I think because I've moved through enough different flavors of mm-hmm. belief and philosophy now too, that even if I come across one that I'm like, oh, I don't mind that. I'm like, it's still made up. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's still just another version of the same thing. Some, yeah. Somebody chose to word it this particular way and everything unfolded from there. It's just a different form of a snowball effect, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I think one of the biggest things that I had to get to to sort of just um, like live life almost was to just be okay with the I have absolutely no idea. I don't know. Yeah, and definitely. to not feel like I needed to have all the answers because, you know, you are instilled that you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared to defend Jesus and to defend an the answer. news and give an answer for your faith and yeah. and always be prepared to share your testimony and all of that narrative that actually to get to a point where I don't have the answer and that that's okay is the pinnacle point of growth and healing for me healing for me was not actually reaching a destination because I think that is just replacement 
it, you know, it was just replacing one thing with another. Um, yeah. Yeah, what absolutely. What brings you joy and peace now? Me personally? Yeah. My wife. Mm. She's delicious. I love yeah. her. Um, I think... I think I'm still moving through some of that as well because, yeah. you know, we've had lots of tricky family stuff over the last few years and um, big shifts. Obviously, the world kind of imploded a few years ago, right? It did. I think it's still imploding. Last time I checked the news. <laughs> really is. Yeah. Um, can I just say too, oh. the level of learning I've needed to get myself caught up on in the last couple in the last couple of weeks um so one of the one of the units in my degree was the book of Matthew in context i.e 10 days in Israel yeah yeah um and obviously the narrative there is every space I've been in is very pro the state of Israel the political state of Israel because of end time theology and stuff like that um and so I've really had to do a lot of reading and learning over the last little while and I think it's interesting because my eldest and I were talking about how sometimes you don't realize there's another piece that needs to be deconstructed until it does float to the surface yeah and this has definitely been that I was like I didn't realize and I didn't know what I didn't know Mm. and so it's been actually really beautiful because my eldest is 20 Mm. I think I think yeah they're 20 oh I think I said the other day they were 19 and they're like I'm not 19 oh but also I think the second one has just turned 19 today so they're 20 we're fine um my eldest is 20 and so we'll send each other articles back and forward or videos we've seen and things like that because we're both having that conversation of how do we educate ourselves on this and how do we pick through like let's improve our media literacy and let's kind of deconstruct our biases here and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um but you know seeing my kids make gives me joy they are just the most incredible compassionate humans yeah it has not been and it continues to not be easy. Um, and I definitely have my doubts sometimes about whether the decisions I made caused them more harm than making different decisions, which is hard and complicated. Mm. Um, but they are such incredible humans mm. and I love seeing who they are and who they're becoming. Mm. They definitely give me joy. Yeah. Making silly little gay plates gives me joy. <laughs> it gives me joy. <laughs> right. I love if you have no idea what we're talking about, jump onto Lissa's Instagram. They are so cute. And I actually like want one that I can like seal and like display. That was the plan. <laughs> the, the plan best. is that once I have enough of them. I'm going to release them oh my as, gosh. as a bit of a release. They yeah. shouldn't actually need sealing because they are an archival, like a waterproof ink that I've used oh, on them. So they should be okay. Nice. Um, I'm just currently testing the Queer Love is Divine one on the shelf in front of me. So it's so <laughs> actually really cute. I love it. Um, but, yeah, I think um, it is a continual process of finding little things to find joy in and it is yeah. my 41st birthday this weekend, which is wild. Well, happy birthday. Thank Are you. you doing something fun? I've decided we're cleaning out the garage. Great. I'm decluttering. Such a Amazing. My, my wife has taken Sunday off work, very last minute. Right. And it's kind of tricky because we have six birthdays in three weeks just within 
like, like the kids and her and I. Yeah, it's a lot. Nice. And I just find I don't think I don't cope terribly well with thinking about my birthday in the middle of all of it. Um, but yeah, I want a I want an opportunity to kind of let go of the things that we're done with now. Yeah. And so we're gonna go through some old bits and pieces because I enjoy that. And I find it helps me to orient myself towards the things that I want to invite more of in. Mm. And one of the things I do want to do this year more is to say the things I want to say more, yeah. which this is a beautiful start to that. Mm. Absolutely. Probably the first time I've been honest completely about some of the story. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, I'm thankful that it was my space that did that. I, I mean, that's um part of I guess how this creation even came about was that so much of your voice gets stripped away because you are just supposed to speak what God tells you to speak and your voice doesn't matter um your story ma- like matters but only in the sense that it's your testimony of God's uh, working in your life Um, And so I was like, you know what, I just want to create a space where people's voices get to be heard because that's often what gets stripped away. And I think, you know, there, I, I forget that there are people who don't understand that lifestyle, uh, like your wife. (laughs) Um, And I sort of go, hmm this is actually not something everybody understands. It is unique. And I think you can forget that when you are in it. And one of the best ways that I have learnt to sort of heal and move through it is to know that I was not alone in some of the things that I was experiencing in some of the things that I was feeling. And so That, I guess, is how this sort of evolved over the past 12 to 18 months into a space where people's stories get to shine as they are in whatever form they are. Um, So I think a really beautiful way to finish would be what would you say to somebody who is in the depths of it, who has no idea what they're doing? What would you say to that person? Trying to think through all the things that just get said and how unhelpful so many of them were. <laughs> um, Weed through the cliches. Yeah, because the thing is you don't need to know, but that mm. doesn't help you when you're there because you desperately want to. Yeah. Yeah. What would I say? Oh, you didn't think this was the question that was really going to stump me, did you? <laughs> Somebody who was really in it, it won't always be this way. Mm. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it won't be worse because it might be. But it also might be less worse. Mm. But it also might just be different and then that'll be okay. But it definitely won't stay the same. Yeah. It'll change. Yeah. Mm. I love that. And I think you're right. It is sort of a bit of a cliche to sort of go, you know, it's okay to not know. It's okay to be in that space. But most of the time, you know, I think if somebody had said that to me, I would have been like, well, that doesn't help me right now. Thank you very much. I had lots of people say that to me even over the last couple of years. I'm like, I know that. 
Yeah. That doesn't help me feel any better. Yeah. Right now, I just want to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it. nobody probably knows even what that will take for somebody to get to that space or what that will look like. But I think, it, you know, that is an important thing for people to remember that it won't always be like this. Yeah. It will shift and it will change and it will morph into different things, um, but it will never stay the same. Because most of the time people coming out are coming out because they don't want to stay the same. Yeah, definitely. And so there is already a deep inclination to learn and to be curious and to do things differently. And so you've already got that inclination. Lean into that. I think. I also think so often we're so much less alone than we think we are, which is what you were saying before, but like finding the people who get you is such Mm. a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. There are other communities. Yeah. There are other communities that exist. It is not just that insular world. Um, There is more, but it, it can take a bit to feel like that. And that's okay. Yeah. But find a therapist to help. I might be a little biased, but find a therapist to help. That can help. I'm sure you are a big advocate as well. I, I certainly would not have weeded through it all as well as I probably did, and it probably was not done well at all if you asked my therapist. Um, but, you know, find your people to navigate that as well is, is important. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's so good. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Surface. Until next time, take care, stay true to who you are, and remember, your voice and your story matters always.